but you can never interpret your numbness as God's absence in your life. So always remember that even in feeling numb, know that God is still very present with you right now. Welcome to the Christian Music Archive podcast, conversations about Christ, community, and music. I'm your host, Dave Maurer. Well, I'm excited to welcome to the podcast today, Tammy Trent. Tammy has had a number of albums uh, since way back in 1995, I think was her first uh, one that I was aware of anyway. And uh, she's been an author. She has quite a story to tell, and I can't wait to uh, talk about this with Tammy. So Tammy, welcome to the podcast, and we're excited to have you here today. Thank you so much, Dave. I love how you just completely went there. The first thing out of your mouth, you just dated me right there. (laughs) She is how old? She's been in the ministry for 25 years, 1995. I cannot believe it. Honestly, when we talk about that and I think, wow, I really, I really have. And I'm I'm still kind of taking those steps every single season of my life as I continue to grow in life yeah. and in relationship and in music and ministry. And of course, my life has taken so many different turns. But, you know, I think at the end of the day to sit here with you today and think, wow, I've been in quote unquote full-time ministry for 25 years yeah. um, is kind of, it, it kind of blows me away. I, I don't know that I would have ever thought I'd still be doing this 25 years later when I started in 1995, but I'm grateful for it. It has shaped me and it has made me the woman that I am today. Well, I won't tell you how old I was when I first got your CD then, because that'll date me then. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, good. Good. (laughs) So I always like to start out, you know, uh, we're talking with musicians. That's what our website's about, is documenting the people who make Christian music. So how did you get started singing? Where did that kind of genesis begin for you? Well, I mean, I think for me, Christian music, the natural thing was in church. And Mm. I was really involved in my youth group and actually did a lot of Wednesday night solos in the youth group where I'd go to Zondervan Family Christian Store, if you remember those. Oh, sure. Yeah. Back in the day, it was one of the first jobs I ever had. And I would sit there and just, you know, put in the cassette tapes. I don't know if everybody remembers having cassette tapes, but (laughs) that's what I had. And I would put those in and I would listen to song after song after song till I found one I liked. And then I would end up singing it on a Wednesday night and loved it. I mean, those really, those days shaped my love of music and my love Mm. for ministry and the message of the gospel. And then I was a drummer. So I drummed in Wednesday night youth services too. It was so fun. And now we had about 400 kids in our youth group. It was a massive, yeah, it was a massive youth group and super fun and very full and very alive. And I grew to love music so much there in my youth group. So one of the things that I did at Christian bookstores is I would listen to tons of music and and bring stuff home. What was some of the early stuff that you brought home that you were going, oh, that's cool? Oh my gosh. Of course, uh, you know, for me was Amy Grant was at the top of my list, but I had, I was Mm. listening to people like the Sweet Comfort Band, Terry Desario, Leslie Phillips, you know, Roby Duke, um, Sheila Walsh, even back in the day, Russ Tapp, the Metals album. Oh my gosh, that. Yes. Unbelievable. Um, but yeah, I mean, so many. And I could probably go up into my guest bedroom right now and pull out the suitcase that is filled with cassettes. And <laughs> I just, I got so many free ones. And if you remember, it used to have stickers on them where if yep. you bought four, then you yep. get the fifth one for free. Yeah. <laughs> I took them from my parents. I took them from everybody and I kept getting <laughs> free music. <laughs> oh, that's fun. That's fun. So how soon did you actually start record writing your own stuff? Goodness, I think, Dave, that was so much later in life for me because I didn't really realize that I had a gift of writing, to be honest with you. Mm. And I, I think my musical gifts were more, um, you know, because I was a drummer, so it was more instrumental. So I would learn melodies and I would record melodies and I kind of held back on lyrics because I thought, oh, I bet everybody else is probably better than I am. And so it was when I signed my first record deal in 1995. I contributed a little bit on that album, but I really took a back seat out of my own insecurity. But I did write one song on that album called uh, Let It Go. And, you know, I ended up recording it with this um, producer that was an incredible keyboard player that just arranged this incredible Mm -hmm. mystical type arrangement to the song. And I just thought that was the first time I thought like that is 
my song and it's coming to life. Oh, how and cool. Yeah. And I, I think it just, it set a fire underneath me and each album that I had recorded after that, you will see that I got more and more involved, even to the last one I just recorded. I have written so much more on it and proud of myself, but I continue to grow in as a lyricist. But I always, I'm a smart woman. I always lean on all my friends who are better writers than I am. <laughs> well, that's kind of the buzzword of the industry right now, right? Just co-write. Yes. Yeah. I mean, if you've got some great friends that are phenomenal writers, there is no shame in getting together with them. Let them carry you if you can. <laughs> right. Well, so you were, you were picking up your musical stuff at a bookstore, at a Christian bookstore, which means that you had found your Christian faith, your belief in Jesus at a ch as a child, right? I did. I really did. That foundation was built for me early, early on. And I remember my mom talking to me about what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus. And she said, Tammy, it's so much more than just a Wednesday night church service mm -hmm. with your friends. It's so much more than a Sunday morning. It's so much more than a prayer over your food. It is a relationship with Jesus. And I remember saying, well, mom, t like, tell me more about that. And my mom was one of the greatest examples in my life growing up. And even to this day, a woman who was grounded in the word of God and the things of God, who practiced what she preached, who loved well, who forgave well, and was so full of grace and mercy. And so I wanted to know the Jesus she knew. And so I, I followed her and I watched her as the example. And I asked questions like I still ask today. She's one of my greatest teachers of the word of God. And so it was an early age, Dave, that I understood truly what it meant and the importance of having a true, genuine, intimate, knowing the character of God relationship uh, that would sustain me for my entire life. So that was a decision you made as a young child and it's, and it's been your own decision all the way through. It was my own decision. And I was 10 years old when I got baptized um, for the first time. And I remember asking if I could do that. And our church had, you know, the, the it was a large church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I remember um, way up top was where the, uh, like the baptismal pool, okay. like the little pool was. And so on those particular Sunday nights when somebody, you know, was uh, being baptized, you know, the music would be playing and all of a sudden it would kind of just die down a little. And then the people would walk down into that little pool and you couldn't see much, yeah. but you know, then they talk and just say, you know, what are you doing? And why is this important to you? And then they dunk them. And I just thought, and then the people would clap and it was just like, and then the people would come out of the water and like, yes, hallelujah. And I thought, you <laughs> <Yeah>. know, <laughs> when I turned 10, I thought, I want to do this. I, I, mm -hmm. I really want to go deeper in my relationship with Jesus. And at 10, it's like, for me, it's like, I only knew so much, but I knew that there was more. Right. I knew that there was more. And I knew that it was sort of being able to surrender the old me, even at 10, I still had my own will. I still had my own stubbornness. I still had my own way of thinking. And I knew enough from mom teaching me things that this was a decision I got to make and what it meant that I was just, I was leaving the former and I was walking into something brand wow. new with Jesus. And I've just never looked back. Wow. That is so cool. A lot of people don't have that lifelong relationship and have to kind of come to understand what that relationship means to them as an older person, even though they've been raised in the church. I mean, I know I was that way. So that's a, that's an incredible story. Yeah. It, it's, it's been everything to me, Dave. And you'll know, as we get deeper into to my story, why it's, why I've needed the foundation, not just, I just didn't right. need um, some of the knowledge, but I needed, I needed the depth and I needed the knowing, the knowing intimately who Jesus was and what his character was, because I was going to, I was going to be faced with a lot of questions about why and why God would allow certain things to happen in my life and not understanding the hand of God at certain seasons. So I've done a little research on your story, so I don't want to give it all away, but a big part of your story deals with your husband. So how yeah. did you, how did you meet? And I think this is fun too. I did not realize that until preparing for this. you your stage name is Tammy Trent and you took on the name of your husband as your last, your I, stage name. 
I did. I did. We met in that awesome youth group that I was just talking to you about okay. when we were 15 years old. So I'm sitting there having, having, you know, church with my girlfriends, worshiping God. And I went to a very charismatic church. So we're lifting up our hands and we're singing Jehovah Jireh 77 times in a row. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. That was our church, you know, over and over and over again. And I remember uh, looking in the back of the room and in came walking in like three gorgeous guys. And I was like, hallelujah. <laughs> I'm so glad to be in church. I'm really liking what I'm seeing right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then they walked in and, you know, they lifted up their hands and started worshiping God. And mm. I was like, oh my gosh, this is getting better by the minute. And then I found out that we lived on the same side of town together in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So we got to go to this thing called fellowship group and we got to hang out. And I wasn't allowed to date till I was 16 years old. But when I turned 16, just a couple months later, he called me and we started a dating relationship. And it was honestly some of the best days of my life. Oh, very he cool. was fun. He was adventurous. He was new to faith. So his relationship with Jesus was, it was on fire. He was, he was solid and it drew me in even more. And we dated seven and a half years. And I went off to Bible college, came back and thought, man, I can't live another day without my best friend. And we got married and it was just um, a few short years after that, I had continued in my music and sort of pursuing that locally in Michigan and ended up doing a demo tape and ended up getting a record deal. Had a few different record companies fly out to Grand Rapids and see me perform at my church and oh, some other fun. places. Yeah, yeah, it was really, really a cool time and ended up landing a deal out of it. And um I, it, when uh, when I was sitting there thinking of last names, I was like, well, our last name isn't going to work, but how about if I take your first name as my last name? And then together we became Tammy and Trent, yep. uh, you know, on the platform. We were Tammy and Trent Lindering, but on the platform, I was now Tammy Trent. Yeah. And I asked him to leave his family business and come on the road with me full time and manage me. And that began the greatest adventure really of both of our lives as, as now we began to travel around the world full-time in music ministry together. And my first album came out, like you said, in 1995. And six weeks later, my very first single went number one on the Christian hit radio charts across the country. And Dave, it was a moment that I just, I felt like, oh my gosh, I am exactly where God wants me to be. Like, I'm exactly where I want to be. Yeah. I was born for this. I'm doing musically exactly what I was born to do. I had different labels at the time that were really wanting to change it. It was too funky for them. It was too danceable. <laughs> it was a little bit Janet Jackson, a little bit Madonna. And they were yeah. like scared. And I was like, look, I'm not scared. This is, I'm not trying to be someone I'm not. This is the music I love. This is who I am. I do dance. I do move so I can pull it off. It's not something I, you, you know, you can right. just throw out there and see if it works. It works for me. So I was on a pursuit to find a record company that would say to me, you are exactly what we are looking for. Yeah. And it just, it, that was the one label that said, we are looking for you. Let's do it. And so six weeks later, when that song went number one, I was like, yep, this, this is it. This is, a, I'm exactly where God wants me to be. Well, and how cool that you could then do this work, this ministry side by side with your husband and you're on the road together. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about how the, the difficulty of being on the road separated from family is a challenge. You didn't have to experience that. Oh my gosh. I loved it. I mean, this guy was my best friend. I'm not sure if he loved it as much as I loved it, <laughs> but I loved it. And, you know, just somehow Trent and I made it work. And I don't know if it was because like even meeting at such a young age, we really developed such a strong friendship and we really based our entire relationship on that. And we were right. very careful to, um, you know, in our youth group, we talked about purity and true love waiting. And so we were very thoughtful and intentional on that, even though it was a struggle for me because I was very much in love and, and I just, I wanted to be loved and wanted someone to love me. So I struggle with those mm -hmm. things, but he was always a protector and covering and such a covering in our relationship. So we, we, we didn't find ourselves in some, um, compromising, um, situations. We were very thoughtful and intentional on even in our dating relationship to let's, let's hang out with friends. Let's right. do stuff as a group, as a youth group. Let's, let's just get to know each other and build our friendship. So I think years later, Dave, that that really paid off for us in our marriage where we were able to have a ministry together where we just, we lived life together and had fun. And it's not all the romance. It's a lot of business. You're trying to balance sure. business and ministry and relationship and just 
somehow we made it work, but I, I really believe it was more Trent because of him and his personality that it just worked because he was just so, he was just so even and he steadied my world. And I was just very blessed to have that kind of consistency and steady every single day. Very cool. Well, so you guys, uh, spent quite a bit of time on the road together, uh, traveling around the world even, uh, which takes us to a very interesting date in history for the world, but even more so for you. Talk about September 11th. Wow. So you can fast forward from 1995. I've now made a couple, two, three, four albums and uh, another number one hit, My Irreplaceable, bunch of top 10 hits, was Living the Dream, mm-hmm. which was to always you know, pursue music and have a record deal. So here was this girl, dreams coming true. I'm on the road full time, and I'm loving life, and married now for 11 years in 2001, and dated seven and a half before that. So I'm, I'm with my best friend. We've, we've made a move to Nashville in the middle of some of that stuff and just thought, you know, God, what are, what are you up to in all of this? And, and I remember in um, September, early September, just kind of talking to Trent about life and, and wondering now after all these things that happened and we're, we're settling down in Nashville, just thinking, well, you know, maybe, maybe it's starting a family. Maybe, maybe that's that new season to come off the road, stop touring and, and, and maybe us starting a family. And we were just at that place in our life as well. And just asking God, you know, what's next and wanting to be in the will of God. And so many times I did question, am I doing what God now wants me to do? Am I doing what I'm wanting to do? Am I fighting this thing? But I just, I wanted to know God clearly and I wanted to hear God clearly. So I remember getting a phone call and it was to go over to Jamaica on a mission trip in uh, the beginning of September. And I thought, oh man, this is really going to be good. It's a really good timing as Trent and I are kind of praying about what's next, I, it was kind of one of those seasons where I knew God was up to something. I just didn't have any idea what it was. And we add a maternity to our insurance before this trip to Jamaica, thinking that, you know, maybe this is, you know, maybe this right. is the time to, to think about that. So we took off to Jamaica. We had one week to vacation on one side of the island before we were to begin this mission trip. We had a day off in between. And I remember Trent saying, baby, what do you want to do on our day off? There's so many cool things we could do as we sure. drive to the other side of the island. And um, I said, well, pull out, pull out the list because I know you've made a list. And he did, <laughs> yep. just like a guy. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> he researched, he studied, and at the top of the list, it said the Blue Lagoon. I said, well, baby, tell me about the Blue Lagoon. And Trent, in his normal fashion, he would always be so excited about something because he'd want you to be excited about it. So okay. he... He would explain it like, okay, there's this amazing place, Tammy. We can have lunch there right on the edge of the water. Then there's a, a lagoon. And in the middle of the lagoon is a hole that goes down about 250 feet deep. And I can explore. I can free dive, scuba dive in the lagoon. So you can hang out. We can have lunch, but then you can wait for me. And then we'll go do something you want to do. But just give me some, maybe like 15 minutes. That's what my plan is. I said, Trent, that sounds like a blast. Let's yeah. go do it. So we headed there. We had lunch right on the edge of the water. Man, it was so yummy. And uh, then Trent suited up and he said, I'm going to be gone for 15 minutes. I'm going to free dive today. So I'm not going to go in with tanks. I'm going to hold my breath. Oh wow! And Trent had been a certified diver since he was 12. So he was smart. He was brilliant. He, he never did anything to take a risk. That afternoon, he was free diving. He could hold his breath up to about five minutes underwater. That's how good he was at that. Wow, yeah. He practiced constantly. So we finished lunch. He suited up. He had his underwater scooter with him that he traveled everywhere with. And um, I stopped him. I said, Trent, stop for a second. You look gorgeous. I said, let me grab the camera and take a picture of you because you look so good. And Dave, I... I will never forget grabbing that camera and turning and taking this beautiful picture of Trent standing there on the edge of the water. And then minutes later, he got into the water and he started to swim away. And then he lifted up his head out of the water and he waved goodbye to me just like he had done so many times before. Sure. Only that time it was different because I had no idea that that time would be the last time that I would ever see Trent again. He sunk beneath the surface and he was gone. And I remember 
sitting there, uh, finishing up my lunch, and 15 minutes had gone by, and 30 minutes had gone by, and then it turned into an hour. And I remember thinking, wait, like I haven't seen Trent. This isn't normal. And I got up close to the edge of the water and I started to look out into the lagoon where I knew I'd have to see him every few moments come up and down for breath. And I saw nothing. And Mm. then a boat came into the lagoon, went over the hole where he was diving back over the hole and then it docked. And it took my breath away as I thought, Trent, I I hope you've heard the boat. And I, I remember, um, going over there to the guys in the boat. And I asked him if they'd take me out and search for my husband who was swimming and I haven't seen him. And with each passing moment, I couldn't help the feeling of knowing that my life would never be the same again. Like I knew that something had shifted. I knew something had changed. Like I couldn't stop the world. Everything was moving so fast. And I, I went into the back room of this restaurant there all by myself. And I just had, um, one of those moments where I I was trying to be so brave and I was trying to be so strong and um, yet everything about me was falling apart. Yeah. And um, as I was trying to hold even my tears together, the only thing I could think to do at that moment was to lift up my hands toward heaven and and pray. And yet the only thing that would even come out of my mouth was help. God, help me, like, help me, Jesus. I, I can't, I can't stop this. I don't know what's going on. I'm confused. I don't understand, but I know I need your help. God, I need you to help me through this and, and help me to navigate what's going on right now. God, I need a miracle. I need, I need Trent to be okay. And I just, I began to pray and I began to sing I started singing all of these old hymns that I remember singing Mm -hmm. in my youth group and in my church, like, I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice and Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. And oh, the blood of Jesus, oh, the blood of Jesus. And, and, um, at that moment I I felt peace like a river that was just starting to cover me like a blanket that was just, Mm. it was just, it wrapped its arms around me. And I remember just keep singing, Tammy, just stay, just stay, just stay right here in the presence of God. Even when the whole world is moving so fast and you can't stop it, just stay in this bubble right now. Just create something that will make you feel so secure right now. And for me, that bubble was um, the knowledge and the knowing that God was in control of everything, even if it looked out of control, yeah. even if it was something I couldn't stop, that I believed that God was in control, that I believed that I was not alone. All of the things that I had learned as a child, I had to lean into now. I had to hang on to them desperately to call out on the voice of God in my life. And so I kept doing that to stay in that bubble, that, that moment. And I called in a dive team and they began to search while I was in that back room. And in three hours had gone by, it got dark. They had to call the search off. They couldn't find Trent. And uh, they said, we'll start again in the morning. And, um, I went up to a home of two doctors that wanted to watch out for me. And I will never forget, it was the very next morning that the doctor said, Tammy, come into the room. We want to show you the television in the other room. And I walked into that room staring at the television as the second plane plowed into the Twin Towers in New York City the morning of September 11th, 2001. So why all of America yeah. was falling apart, I'm standing there thinking my, my, my entire world is falling apart right now as yeah. I'm looking at these yeah. people shortly after saying, have you, have you seen this, this one that I love? Have you seen my father, my mother, my husband, my wife? And I'm, I'm in my own country going, I can relate. Like, has anybody seen Trent? And then I got the call that, um, my family was grounded on planes all across the country. So not one person could get to me, Dave. And I'm just like Mm. thinking many of us, I'm sure even listening right now, I can't imagine one person not being able to say this, but I think every one of us has been at in one place in our life or another have said something like, God, it's enough. Like yeah. I can't take one more thing. And that's where I was at that moment. Just like, God, it's enough. I, I need my family. How will I ever get through this on my own? And now my family can't get to me. Yeah. And then the phone rang again and it was the dock. They had found Trent in the dock about a hundred and 50 feet down, still hanging onto his underwater scooter. And wow. he didn't survive. He didn't make it. 
And that, that was the beginning. That moment for me, as I fell to the ground, crying out to God, that was the beginning of an entirely different chapter, many chapters that I would face in my life. That was the beginning of a brand new journey for me. One that I never, ever thought would happen in my life. And, and I was stepping into it in all of the unknown. Yeah. One of the things that you said earlier in on a conversation was you were talking about how your mom had helped train you in this relationship with Jesus that you would need future. And now we're at the future. When you were in the, in the middle of that day, was it something that you had to consciously go, okay, I am at a loss for everything. I just have to cling to God. Or was that something that you had practiced enough that it was kind of a natural outflow? Yeah, Dave, it was, um, it really was a natural outflow. I didn't have to like overthink it. I didn't have to question it. It just, it was a, such a defining moment for me, honestly, because I think many of us question our faith. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, we're like, I wonder if I would really trust God right. if this happened, you know, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I wonder if I really put this extra hundred in the, in the offering, if I really believe that God will bless me in right. a certain area of my life. You know, we're always kind of, at least I am, my whole life, I'd never had anything massive major happen in my life where the rug was pulled out from underneath me. So I think I always wondered, I mean, do I, I know I have faith. I know I believe in Jesus. I know I, I, you know, I walk with them on a daily basis, but like, what if something really awful, like, what will I do? And so, man, you know, after I got through that time, it was a realizing what a defining moment that was for me, that it just, it was very natural for me. I didn't have to overthink it. It was like, I had practiced for that moment, my whole life. Mm. And I just stepped into it. Now it didn't mean that I, I wasn't in pain. Didn't mean that I haven't fought anger. Sure. You know, it doesn't mean that I haven't questioned God, that I, you know, doubted a million times that I went through all of that. But in that moment, I knew enough to lean towards the things of God rather than away from him. It's so easy for us when, when things are going great to just believe, oh, God is, he's fantastic. This is unbelievable. God, your blessings, your blessings. And then when something shifts and changes and we don't understand why God would allow something to happen, man, it's, if, if you're anything like me, I'm quick to, at least in the past, been quick to say, oh, great. Now you've abandoned me. Now you've moved on. And now you're not listening. Now you don't care. What have I done? And why am I being punished? And so, man, I think for me, I've had to navigate through a lot of that stuff the last 19 years, which I think just develops you as a follower of Christ. It, it strengthens right. your walk. It makes you more mature. Either we know him on the surface or we know him to the depths of our soul. And I think, Dave, when that happened, I was very numb. At that time, I was very shocked. And I think it was almost like if you've ever been in a place where something happens and you're, you're so shocked, but you're almost looking around going, what happened? Like, oh, like yeah. what in the world is happening? What is going on? And so instead of screaming and shouting, I was more like God. God, what's going on? What are you doing? What is going on? I don't understand. I'm not, I, I don't understand. And I think just thank God that we have that shock mechanism within our human bodies that just kind mm-hmm. of, you know, sets us to the side of, of our emotions. I would have been a wreck, but somehow I went into this deep shock of just trying to figure out why God allowed this to happen in my life. So I want to stop there because for me, when I have a tragedy, a loved one dies or something catastrophic in in my life happens, I immediately pull into my own shell and I just kind of, Mm -hmm. I don't know how to say it, go into the the spiritual fetal position, if you will, and say, I don't know what to do. I don't even know if I can get up in the morning. Mm. And I can only imagine losing my, my, my spouse. How, I don't know how I'd respond. How did, how did you live through that pain and angst and knowing you had to a get back to the States and you can't cause everything's grounded and you have life that you have to continue. You probably had dates that you had scheduled. I mean, you've got all of these business things that kind of get thrown into the back and going, but that doesn't matter because my life has just ended as I know it. Yes. Oh my gosh, Dave, you just nailed it right there. My life had ended as I knew it. And I remember coming back and having even bookings, um, concerts that I had to do. And I remember personally sitting in my mom's living room, picking up the phone and personally calling 
every single one of those churches saying, I cannot make it there because my husband has just died and I just, I'm, I don't have anything to give right now. Please forgive me, but I, I need to cancel this. And I you're having to relive that every single phone call. Exactly. And imagine that was only like, you know, I I was in Jamaica. I was stuck there for 10 days, all flights grounded. So I couldn't get back. When I got back, I flew into Chicago with Trent's body underneath the plane. So I, Uh. so that we could bring him home. So I'm flying into Chicago. I'm, I'm driving to Grand Rapids. So I haven't even come home to Nashville yet. So I'm in Grand Uh. Rapids at my family's house and where Trent's family lives. I'm dealing with everything there. So yeah, I mean, it was probably a month before I even got back to Nashville to walk into this home and to see like his shoes sitting by the door and yeah. you know everything the way we left it. So it's, it's been so many different things that I've had to navigate through. And you're right. I mean, it's, there's been multiple times where I have been in a fetal position going, <laughs> how in the world, God, do I get through something like this? And I knew Dave that Tammy, you will never get through this on your own. Mm. Never get through this on your own. So I was smart enough to know that when I came home, obviously my relationship with Jesus, it was intact. So it was there. I had him daily. I was yelling at him daily. (laughs) I was (laughs) loving him daily. I was screaming at him daily. I was going through it all. All the things were happening with me and Jesus. But I was smart enough to know like I have got to surround myself with my tribe. And to me, Mm. that was like my family, my friends, and my church and not feeling like I had to be on a platform. I came off of it because I didn't want to pretend that I had all the answers. I had none. So I walked off of it and I came home when I got back to Nashville. Every single month, I invited probably 15 or 20 girls to my home. Some I knew, some I didn't know. Some I said, bring a friend if you want, but we're going to have a girls night. And they would come to my home and I would cook. We'd watch movies. We'd play Yahtzee. We'd <laughs> hang out until two in the morning. Girls would say, I don't want to leave. It's so peaceful in your home. And I just, it meant the world to me. But I knew that I have got to invest in these girls as they are investing in me because this community will be the very thing that brings me back to life again. These are godly women. These are fun, authentic women. These are women I can be honest with. I am safe with. I can, I can tell them everything that I'm going through. I can let them be counselors to me. I can let them be friends. It was that community for me, Dave, that really that year, I did that for an entire year that was significant in my healing. And had I not put that in place, I do not believe that I would have been in the place that I'm at today and finding the type of healing that I found. And it was just it was a daily thing, but it was also a choice that I had to make. Did, did I want healing or not? Because look, healing also takes work, but you got to yeah. put the work in. You have Marriage takes work. You got to put the work in. Your finances, everything takes work. It doesn't just happen by chance or overnight. So even with my healing, I had to make some intentional choices and decisions to take steps toward my healing as painful as it was in times when I just didn't have the answers. And part of that was just saying, look, Give yourself permission. If you don't have anything to give today, just show up and show up with mm-hmm. your friends and just do life and, and let life be a part of your healing as you trust God with each new season. So to me, it sounds like this was an investment that you were making, that you had this conscious decision that you realized, if I don't, I'm in trouble. If I don't reach out, if I don't put these plans in place, I'm in trouble. I will sink. Absolutely. Yeah. I will sink. And I knew that that I had to build that that foundation um, in these deep friendships because they would be the friendships that would carry me for years to come as life moves on. And a year from now, I'm still healing or five years from then, I was still healing, mm-hmm. whatever. I didn't know what healing would look like. I didn't know how long it would take, but it's like, I know that I need to have these relationships in place because they will be pivotal in this healing process for me. I just, I without even having to explain it, Um, I just, I just knew, I just knew I had that sense of how important that would be. And it's been the very thing truly that has, man, it's, it's, I I still do it today here. I'm 19 years later in my healing and I have a pool in my backyard and every summer I have girls days and 15, 20 girls come and we hang out all day and I grill out for them and we laugh and we hang and we play basketball in the pool. And I think what it does is day for me too, is it helped me in that early years of taking my eyes off my own pain 
And here I was a, a married woman of 11 years. So I was taking care of Trent every day, nurturing, mm-hmm. loving him, all that. And then it was gone. It was just gone in a second's time. So I knew for one that I needed, by, by opening up my home, building these friendships, that what it did is it allowed me to love on these girls, to give to these girls, to nurture them, to care for them, to cook for them, to just give to them. And in doing that, is also where I found healing was was somehow taking my eyes off my own pain in those moments and looking around at somebody else that might be going through something and think, how can I help them? Yeah. Well, and I don't know how to say this question, so it, it might come across a little clunky, but that feels all nice, neat package with a little bow on top of it. I just put in the time and I worked. Uh, yeah, a red bow, right. And I, <laughs> and I put in the time and I made it work. But yeah. what do you say to the people what do you say to the woman who's just lost her husband, the the parent who's just lost their child, and they're in that fetal position saying, I don't have it. I don't have the energy to get up and say, I need help. I need to focus on something else. What do you say to that person? Well, I'd say, first of all, I, I was there. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about 19 years of healing. So, so I didn't come home and right away go, this is super fun. Let's have a girl's night and just all have a great time. I mean, it has taken me years and years to get to the place that I'm at um, because for me, healing didn't happen overnight. So I just want to be clear on that. There's a, maybe a red bow now, 19 years later, and there ought to be. <laughs> if, if I didn't have a red bow on it now, Dave, there would be some major problems because yeah. if I'm a follower of Christ and I've allowed him to heal me after 19 years, I would say, look, I'm not doing something right. So right. either either we believe God can heal, either we believe he can restore uh, even in our pain, it, it's it, what do you believe? Either you right. do or you don't. So I think in the beginning, it's just taking little steps. So yes, fetal position, all that stuff, being angry at God, feeling like he took something from me that was everything to me. My whole life changed in a second. Yeah. Everything shifted and changed. I was mad. I was angry. Like, how can God allow something like this to happen in my life? Yes, I came home. And and I'm telling you, even now, I have 19 years later where I still have moments where I am punched in the gut, even in my healing, where I scream and say, God, I hate this. Yeah. It's not fair. And it will never feel fair for any one of us that has risked loving and, and we risk losing and for any one of us that especially fresh in your pain, I mean, it's all those questions of like, like, God, I just, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't understand. Dave, I just had a friend, one of my good friends that was killed in a plane crash one month ago in Nashville. She's married with two little ones and uh, she was in the Air Force, deployed five times, only 45 years old. And she was in Nashville um, in the military, the 118th. Uh, air wing. And she was just going up in a plane with two, uh, two other airmen and right here in Nashville and took off from Murphy, Murfreesboro, had a problem with the plane and started to turn back to the runway and had a massive catastrophic engine failure and wasn't very high even off the ground as they were trying to get back to the runway. And the engine completely failed and it just crashed to the ground, killing all three of them instantly. I was supposed to be with her just two days later on September 10th, all of us girls were getting together to celebrate Trent's life. And now here I was having to celebrate Trent's life and then now the death of my friend. And I'm telling you, I've had questions for God and just like, like, I don't, I don't understand. She loved you so much. She was such an amazing person. She's got a five-year-old little boy and an eight-year-old little girl. How did these kids go on to live without their mom? And we could either stay in that our whole life and be so angry with God and just like, it will never make sense. I will never understand. And the truth is this side of heaven. I won't, I won't understand everything that happened to me. You won't ever understand everything that's going on in your life. I will never understand everything that's happened to Shelly. But if you, I think try to just find moments in a day, moments in a day, even if it's hard to get out of bed, even a moment in a day, try to find something, some promise, something that you can cling to that gives you some kind of hope. I don't know what that is. And it might take people a while to get there. And I think everybody's journey back to healing is different. Some people do feel like I can't get out of bed and spend a month. 
But at the same time, I would start praying that God bring them somebody, bring them somebody that'll help them get dressed and move out of that house even for a day to take a walk around the neighborhood to do whatever, because you have to keep moving or at some point you will get stuck. And then it's going to be really hard. I've heard some people say that, you know, sometimes you were talking about those little things that it's okay to celebrate. Hey, I got out of bed and I brushed my teeth today. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That was a step. (laughs) Now for, for those of us who do that on a daily basis, it's like, oh, come on, that's nothing. But when you're going through that depression, that agony of loss, celebrate the little things that God gives you the strength to, I brushed my teeth today. And I actually oh use toothpaste. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Hey, that, that it's it's no lie because early on those uh, that first year for me was was exactly that. I I can remember texting my mom going, I got out of bed and I washed my hair today. Didn't go anywhere, but I got out of bed and washed my hair. My mama would say, "You're doing good, honey. You're doing good. Just just keep doing a little bit every day." And I think that's what I would say to somebody if they just feel so numb right now and they feel so stuck. I would first say that, I mean, I think that's totally normal to feel that way, Uh, but you can never interpret your numbness as God's absence in your life. So always remember that even in feeling numb, know that God is still very present with you right now. But I would just say, just if you can do a little bit every day, just a little bit, give yourself permission, but try to keep moving a little bit every day, whatever that looks like for you. Um, I know, speaking from my own experience, that you're going to come out of it. You will. And each each season, you will get stronger and stronger. And here I am today, 19 years later, I am a woman who's healed. But I'm also a woman who's still, oh, man, I wish I could change it, but I can't. Um, I can see God's hand in it now. I can see how God allowed things to happen in my life because he saw it would serve a greater purpose. Doesn't mean I love the new plan. There's days I still hate it. <laughs> we were <laughs> talking earlier own... about your forest <laughs> job today. Yes. I mowed my own grass again today. So I, I do that. I mow my own grass. I prune. I, I have my own blower, my own chainsaw, all that jazz. And my, my house backs up to the woods. And I was outside um, doing stuff in the woods because I've got like a fire pit back there and making it all really cool for the fall. And, and I saw a branch that was up like 15 feet tall. And so I've got this extender pole that will cut it. And I extended that pole all the way. And I, I started to, to clip onto that branch and I was yanking on it. I was pulling on it with all my might in the pull. It didn't break, but it split right where the extension was. And it came, the, the metal part came crashing. Imagine I'm yanking on this with all my might. So when I'm yanking, <laughs> yep. it came crashing on my shoulder. And I legit, Dave, I legit like fell, fell to the <laughs> ground. My neighbors probably hurt me and I just cried. So my mascara is running down my face, but I cried because it hurt, but I cried more because I'm widowed. I cried more because this is my life. I cried more because Trent's not here. I cried more because, you know, he would have been able to do that and I would have never gotten hurt. There were so many feelings, even in my healing at that moment, that I just I just wish were different. So yeah. do I understand? Yes. Do I have a bow on top of what I've gone through to come out to the other side? I do because I'm proud of it. I'm proud of the steps that I've taken. I'm proud of my healing. I fought hard for this healing in Jesus. And I'm here today and I'm allowing God to do something with my pain. And I have mm-hmm. learned to give my pain purpose. So you will too journey through it. Give yourself permission but find something little to do every single day. And sooner or later, that little will become more and more and more until God begins to use you now to comfort somebody else. The ladies that you invited to your place for your girls' night, I, I would imagine that these are not people that you, you said, I've just now had this loss, I'm going to start investing in them. These are people that you had been investing in all along, right? Yeah. Yeah, they were. A lot of them, Dave, were, um, when I think back of that, were music industry friends. You know, maybe maybe a publicist, um, maybe someone from church, um, some were different. You know, I'd been, at that point, I think I had been on three different record companies, REX Music, mm-hmm. then I went to Light Records, and then I ended up at Sparrow Records at the time at EMI. And so a lot of them were music industry friends because that was kind of my life in Nashville for the right. last two years that I had lived here. 
And then some were, you know, people doing my website. Some were, you know, Pam Thumb was my best friend, ah. uh, like 10 houses down. Her and her husband lived right in the same neighborhood. So it was all those kind of friends that I had met along the way that were living in Nashville. And you're exactly right. So they're people I knew and acquaintances. But now it was now I was handpicking each one that I knew that I was really going to invest in and that we're going to mm -hmm. become lifelong friends. And yes, yeah. 19 years later, Probably most of them are still the girls coming and hanging out at my pool in the backyard. <laughs> well, I guess my point for bringing that up is because uh, one of the points of this podcast is to talk about the importance of community. And, and oh, it's yeah. important to be investing in that community now when things are, are decent yes. so that when things do go bad, whether it's I lose a job, I you know stub my toe, I, I lose my husband, whatever, oh, yeah. that that is a natural habit to reach out and say, Hey, you know, this is where I'm at. And you know me for who I am, ugly and beautiful. And I need to be ugly right now. And I just need you to wow. be okay with that. And because you've had that experience of intentionally reaching out to other people, it's probably not as difficult as it would be if you were starting from scratch. That is so much wisdom there, Dave, so much wisdom. And it's so true. And I, Honestly, didn't think about it so much until you kind of set it up that way. But it's so true. When you said there might be somebody who's listening right now that doesn't know how to ask for help, maybe, I mean, I think I was able, now I'm not very good at asking for help, but I had already established enough relationships that when it was like so bad that I, I knew like, you cannot do this on your own pick up the phone and call somebody. You're right. I had established my community, my tribe, my circle of friends um, that were now lifers with me. They were going to do life with me. Mm -hmm. And those are the people that I still call on today. And I'm telling you, I'm smart enough still to know I got to have my girl time. So whether yeah. that's, you know, getting on a plane, taking two of my best friends and flying to Kabul, you know, for the weekend, which I can't right. do now during COVID. So I get in a car and I drive to Florida to Destin beach and we go for a weekend, you know, or I, go across town and have a cup of coffee, or I take a walk around Radnor Lake with a couple friends. But the people you invest in right now, oh my gosh, handpick them carefully. Make sure if you are a follower of Christ, that you have a circle of followers of Christ around your mm -hmm. life that can lift you up when you cannot lift yourself up, that know how to pray for you when you are at a loss for words, that know how to pull you forward when you keep pulling yourself backwards. You have got to be smart enough to, to put that community, that tribe in place in case, especially, I mean, it's not just in case, but it's just to do life with every day because yeah. we all have stuff going on, whether it's catastrophic or not, we just, we're doing life right now. And yeah. COVID is so hard for all of us right now that we just, we're struggling. So you've got to have that community. Absolutely. That helps you get through the day-to-day -day stuff. But especially for me, if something life altering happens in your life, those are people that are going to walk life out with you in the end. I think it's called letting our friends see that we have warts and all and oh that yeah. that matches their warts. And guess what? We're all the same at the foot of the cross. And Jesus put us here to be in relationship with one another so that when COVID happens, so that when the car breaks down, so that when we lose something dear to us, it's just part of our warts that somebody understands, oh, that's real. That's real life. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I, oh my gosh, I'm very blessed to have, um, you know, I've got a lot of friends, but I have probably three that deeply know me, like know everything about me. I've, mm -hmm. you know, I've held on to my own teenage secrets, <laughs> you know, my own, <laughs> I went off to college, tried that once, you know, so yeah. <laughs> I, we've all got that, that, that bucket or those, yeah, that package of, of things that were like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm been forgiven of that and I'm over that. And now I'm older and I've learned and you know, I had enough things in my life that I also tried to sort of uh, navigate myself. And I got to a point probably three years ago where I, those three people, which was my best friend, Anita, my sister, Gina, and my mom. And I remember flying to Michigan and just sitting down with them over coffee and crepes and going, there has been some things that I have been hanging on to for many years by myself. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm finally at a place in my life where um, I feel safe enough with the three of you to tell you everything about my life. Things that happened when I was a kid, things that happened in high school that patterned something later in a relationship that then maybe creeped its head up later in my 30s. And then choices I made maybe here in my 40s that weren't so great. That's led me up to this day today. And I've, I want to be able 
to not carry this anymore, even though I know that I've dealt with some things and God has forgiven me and stuff, but I just, I feel safe enough to say, here it is. I want you to walk life out with me. I want you to know every part of me, the good, you know, all the good, because it's easy to tell mm-hmm. you all the wonderful things about me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and my mom, especially where she's like, I love you, honey. You're amazing. And you're, I'm like, well, mom, I know you think that. And, and I want to believe that, but let me tell you something about my life that wasn't so amazing. And to have mm-hmm. my mom sit across the table for me, just going, honey, I love you. I love you. And and we will walk whatever out with you that you need. And I'm just so grateful more than anything that you're at this place in your life. That was one of the most freeing things in my life, Dave, was mm. to, to, to know that I could talk honestly and authentically with these three people in my life. So yes, it's incredibly important to find those people, to know who they are, and then to feel so safe with them that you can legit do life. We send out a prayer letter every week. Uh, asking folks to pray for different musicians and uh, how can we be including you in our prayers this week? Oh my goodness, I love that for one. I think um, I just, I want to make sure that I am uh, really trying to make sure that I'm, I'm learning more how to discern the voice of God in my life. Uh, lots of different voices right now and I want to all to learn to go to the one sure voice in my life and listen to that whether it's new music or not new music but to not do the things that I want to do my will but continue to surrender in obedience to God in my life I've not always been the best with being obedient and I've kind of that you know my own will and my strong will and so I have been learning in the last three years to surrender what that really looks like it's not Surrender isn't a perfect life. It's a surrendered, a surrendered life, surrendering to Jesus and, um, and being obedient because in the obedience comes the blessings of God. So I'm really, really learning to, to try to lean more into Him than my own ways. So, and for what's next, I don't know what's next for me. And so I just, I, I know God reveals to me always right on time. And so I'll wait on that. Thank you, Tammy, for sharing your story with us today. I appreciate when we have the opportunity to be real with one another and share the highlights and challenges of life. I think there's something incredibly valuable about learning from each other's stories, and I hope that Tammy's reminder to build a community that we can lean in on in both good and bad times resonates with you. I know for me, I have a group of guys that I reach out to regularly, and I found that to be such a valuable thing. I also appreciate the reminder that when I feel numb or when the pain of life is just too much to bear, that does not mean that God has left me. I love Tammy's quote. Let's see how she say it. You can never interpret your numbness as God's absence in your life. What a great reminder. Well, thanks for joining me today for the Christian Music Archive podcast. I'd love to hear your thoughts about today's episode. You can reach out to me on all of the social media networks. Just look for at CCM Exchange on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Patreon. Or you can use the email form on my website, christianmusicarchive.com. And thanks for taking time to rate the podcast on your podcast app. That just helps spread the word and get this show higher in the rankings so other people can find it too. Well, that wraps things up for this episode. Come back next week when I've got another conversation with one of the artists you'll find on the ChristianMusicArchive.com. And until we meet again, remember, God loves you. In fact, He's crazy about you. <laughs>